we do have a fantastic guest today. Before we get into it, I have to say, guys, and you might have heard this phrase before, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Well, I'm going to be mad and disappointed if you're not at Bitcoin 2022. I'm serious. I'm going to find you and I'm going to make sure you go to Bitcoin 2022. So uh, I think we have a code YT mag. I think there was one that was uh, more than that, but maybe I'm, I'm wrong. But yes, absolutely. No, that's Peach. the biggest one. Sorry to interrupt. You have yeah. to use code YT mag like tonight to get 21% off your tickets. Yes, uh, you heard him, guys. YT mag. Uh, you got to get it. Uh, that code is not going to be around forever. And I think, like you said, it's ending uh, very quickly here tonight, potentially. So get your tickets. It's it's definitely going to be a great time. But without further ado, Mr. Sean Amick, welcome to Meet the Plebs. It's great to have you on here. Yeah, man. Thanks for the invite. I was really excited to come on. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, uh, you have submitted some fantastic articles to us, like a real variety, and it seems like you've got your hand in many places in Bitcoin right now. Um, jumping right into it, though, I'm curious if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into Bitcoin, and uh, what, what's brought you down this path. Yeah, so it was probably the... Uh tail end of 2019 like i just saw that over the course of time like my, my about my money was just being devalued and i was starting to figure out how to invest and i'd gotten pretty good at you know playing the stock market <clears throat> and then you know looking through the boom and bust cycles i just realized that that wasn't really a good long-term store of wealth and i started trying to look elsewhere and i i don't know the exact thing that pointed me to Palm's podcast, I know that he's got a mixed bag of emotions with with Bitcoiners, but <clears throat> that was kind of the first thing that that I saw on Twitter, and through something that he posted, I saw the Bitcoin Standard, uh, and then I bought I bought the Bitcoin Standard, treated it a bit like a Bible, <laughs> and really just kind of dove in, and I started buying all the books all the books that I could, and I started trying to find all the podcasts that I could listen to so I could understand it. Uh, I eventually actually joined that, that Palm course. And at the time I wouldn't have labeled myself as like a Bitcoin maxi at all. In fact, I actively railed against that category. Um, but then by the end of it, I, you know, made, made a couple of friends, started a podcast, uh, you know, one, uh, with Alan who works at Bitcoin Mag or Bitcoin incorporated and, uh, as it progressed, I definitely became more and more aggressive <laughs> towards towards altcoins and towards whatever, you know, mission statements or use cases that they said that they were going for and, you know, finding a lot of the fallacy in a lot of those other projects. And it eventually led me to <laughs> becoming a pretty hardcore uh, Bitcoin maxi, at which point I had already been a writer prior to that. Like, I'm a, I'm a fiction author and I... I spent the majority of like my uh, latter half of high school and going into college uh, focusing on writing as a way to learn. So if there was a thing that I didn't understand, like I wrote, I was writing a book at one point about law enforcement uh, and I wound up doing, I think like 10, 15 different interviews with different police officers at the you know local area that I lived at the time, just trying to make sure that I was getting it right. And I started realizing the more that I wanted to write, the more that I wanted to get things right. And I, I wanted to kind of speak truth into the thing that I was trying to talk about. And I realized as I was learning more and more about Bitcoin that that was going to be the best way 
for me to kind of learn more and more about it. So every time I came to a question that I couldn't find the answer to, I started writing an article about it. I mean, uh, what better way to get into Bitcoin? Definitely, you know, those top of the funnel uh, aspects of the Bitcoin community, like Pomp, regardless of your feelings um, on that, I think they play such an important role because uh, it just catches a, a wider audience and there's such a wider net to be uh, put out there. Uh, uh, like I said, regardless of your feelings on the content, it obviously brings in people who may or may not turn into Bitcoin maximalists, people who really work on Bitcoin and, and write for Bitcoin. So I think uh, there's something to be said for those tops of funnels. That's cool that uh, that you did the podcast with Alan. I didn't know that. And uh, Alan has been on the show once before with us. He was great. And I'm definitely in agreement with you on using the uh, the Bitcoin standard as, as a Bible. Uh, that was definitely my like source of writing information for the last first, first uh, six months of what I was doing here. But uh, I'm curious, Sean, you, you mentioned that Prior to this, you were a fiction writer. Could you talk a little bit about how your work in, in fiction writing has sort of blended with uh, your work in Bitcoin? Yeah, it's um, actually haven't really talked about this much. So my the series, the, the only published novel that I have out is called Dick Stangreen, Dick, comma, Stangreen. Basically, Sherlock Holmes was horrible at his job and smoked a lot of weed. Uh, it's a uh, focus on self-sustainability, uh, kind of what happens whenever green energy uh, requirements out of a city uh, create burdens for business owners and kind of what that looks like whenever the state's kind of putting their overreaching hand on businesses. Uh, as I've delved into Bitcoin and the finances behind everything, and I became obsessed with, you know, Austrian economics and trying to learn all of these different things uh, throughout the story uh because it's a co-authorship me and my co-author have been discussing ways to make sure that we have emergent technology present in the story that we're telling uh and i had very much expected forms of digital currency to take precedent in the next book in the in the series uh and through my writing uh, because my co-author has been reading all of my articles <laughs> and through, through all of, uh, through all the articles and all the discussions that we've had, we found that it, it's actually going to be able to be a pretty core point to the next story that we want to tell with, within that series and ha what happens when the state overreaches, what happens whenever an emerging tech allows for a parallel option to exist. So it's, it's definitely affected my my fiction writing has definitely affected the way that I that I discuss centralized authority, uh, the way that I just discuss really any form of, of bureaucracy uh, to, to any point and just trying to make sure that there's always a form of skepticism for whatever existing infrastructure is there. Well, that's uh, really interesting. I mean, I think it's awesome how you're sort of taking like the ethos of Bitcoin and applying it not just to like oh, let's have Bitcoin in the book. But how do you write this book uh, about, you know, maybe totalitarianism or authoritarianism? And what has Bitcoin taught you about that? And you implement that. So that's really awesome. And I personally would love to see a lot more uh, Bitcoin-like related fiction pieces because I'm a big fiction reader. So that would be awesome and looking forward to that. Moving along, though, I'm curious if you could describe like the sort of life lessons that you've taken from Bitcoin. You know, many people talk about uh, how it's changed their ideas or beliefs. So I'm curious if you could just describe, uh, you know, the effect Bitcoin's had on you in that way. I think it's 
the effect that it has that it's had on me seems to be the opposite effect that it has on most people. <laughs> uh, most people in this in the space, and I in no way mean this as a jab, um, became become very very convicted in in their beliefs, as I have too, and that's typically resulted in what people refer to as toxic masculinity, and it becomes a bit counterintuitive to try and have a conversation, you know, for however you want to say it on the other side of the aisle, <clears throat> you know. So for me, Bitcoin kind of destroyed the, uh, my expectation of finance, my understanding of finance. And I just learned that I was, that I was very wrong about how I thought the system worked, about how I thought you could win in this system uh, and, you know, the players that control it. Uh, and because it was able to shape that belief and allow me to create a new foundation, it's allowed me to be far more understanding of any other point of view that is not my own. In fact, I would argue that Bitcoin has probably made me the most empathetic that I've ever been in my entire life. It, I've, I'm able to understand what it is to not hold a perception and still not mean not not have to come to the conclusion that that automatically means that you're right or wrong. It just means that there's more information that's needed for one, if not both sides of the of the discussion. So I would say that's probably the biggest way that it's affected me. I, uh, I find that super relatable. I would definitely agree that most Bitcoiners seem to be very like, like this just makes them more sure that they're right about the world. Whereas for me personally, and I agree with you, it's made me sort of realize that I don't know much about the world. Uh, my expectations can be shattered, even if they're fundamental, like what is money? And that's interesting that uh, you describe it, you know, as making you more empathetic. I think certain like aspects of Bitcoin, especially if you come at it like a top of the funnel pump style, you know, way, I think it really makes you question like how you came at it, right? And how you approach any subject with that you don't have a large amount of knowledge on. And like you said, I think when I hear things now that I'm not Usually I would traditionally be like, this isn't right. I have my belief or whatever. Now I'm, I often wonder, my, wonder to myself, am I just uninformed? Because people who question Bitcoin like that usually are uninformed. And uh, yes, I find myself questioning my own you know, thoughts in that way very much also. Be, go ahead. I find myself constantly wanting to argue against the thing that I believe in <laughs> uh, just to make sure that I got <laughs> So I try to find the people that are actively against uh, whatever belief system that I that I have in place and try to understand where their perspective is coming from and be able to still refute that. And if, if that's where I'm at, then I'm comfortable. I, I don't necessarily like saying that I, that I have a formed opinion. And maybe this is just being too semantic with words, but uh, Sadhguru, if, if you've ever listened to anything, he says one of the one thing that he said has always stuck with me, and it's that um, formulating an opinion is one of the worst things that you can do. Because once you formed an opinion, that means that you've stopped accepting new information. So it's best to remain unopinionated. That way you're always absorbing new information. So I try my best to not get to a finalized point in what I think my understanding is, and that includes Bitcoin. As of right now, I'm convinced that Bitcoin is is the answer for a sound money principled economy that is most beneficial to a wide ranging society. That doesn't mean that something else can't happen or something else can't change, but based on everything that I have right now, that's, that's 
where I'm at, but I am in no way like 150 years. I know that this is what's going to, I know that this is what everybody's going to be using. I know this is what everybody's going to be doing. Like I have, I have no idea. I'm accepting of new information on that. Right. Uh, the, your position is based not on your opinion, but on the evidence you've been presented with basically. And I think that's right. a, something that Bitcoin is really good at teaching us is to uh, base our thoughts and our actions off of uh, our evidence that we can, you know, see ourselves, verify, not trust. And, you know, it's kind of contrary into how we usually do things nowadays where we get things from information sources that are usually centralized. But uh, moving along, you know, that could be something that we talk about. What's, you know, the primary change you want to see come out of the adoption of Bitcoin? And that could be anything from the actual technological process it brings, the societal change it could bring. Uh, you know, there's so many aspects of society that Bitcoin is set to impact. I'm curious what aspects you'd be most excited to see it change. I didn't know that I was reading the thing that I wanted to happen until I was finished reading it. And that was whenever I was reading the fiat standard by safety and a sequel to the, to the Bitcoin standard. As I was reading it, I was actually kind of frustrated with the book. Uh, and it's because there was a pretty lengthy section, a couple of sections, dedicated to conversation that I wasn't necessarily wanting to read about whenever I purchased that book. I was wanting to understand fiat architecture. I was wanting to understand how a lot of these different layering systems uh, had been developed. And he discussed a lot of low time preference thinking about how do we approach food? How do we approach fitness? How do we just approach how do we approach the economy as a whole? How do we approach savings? How do we approach you know, uh, buying a house? How do we approach all of these different things? And a high time preference money requires action from a high time preference society. So I would say that the thing that I'm most excited for that Safety definitely helped me understand is I want to see what a low time preference society will build on and how that affects a cultural change. I mean, so so centric to the actual message of Bitcoin is is lowering your time preference. And I think, you know, if we can envision a society that adopts Bitcoin and lowers its time preference, what we see are reflections of the past historically where great growth in civilization has happened, right? Or great knowledge has been gained. You look at like the Islamic Golden Age or when uh, the Empire of Rome was being built. And we have philosophers, scientists, you know, knowledge from these eras that we still are fundamental to us today. And I think, you know, as we enter into a low time preference society, we could see a resurgence in this sort of deeper level of thought that might take us into the future and, and be applicable hundreds of thousands of years from now. So certainly agree with you that low time preference is probably going to be the most important thing that could happen to society probably ever. And Bitcoin is the best monetary solution to sort of implement that. Oh, I was just going to say, it's it, everything's about a system of incentives, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's what Bitcoin's built around. It's just having the correct incentives in, in place to make sure that people make the correct choices. And currently, we're not incentivized whatsoever to act with, with low time preference. We're, you know, strictly speaking about the economy, it's You'll, you'll hear investors like 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 Palm, for instance, you know, he talks about all the time uh, asymmetric risk like you, the, the people that really need money, that really need to invest their money, don't have time 
to invest in a mutual fund or bonds or something like that. They need asymmetric risk that can give them a larger return because otherwise they're probably one going to lose money uh, as a generality, but two, they're just going to get beat by inflation regardless of what they do anyway. So they have to act with high time preference. They have, they have no choice. So if the incentive system is completely changed and people are rewarded for taking those, those slower decision-making processes, then I, I think that we see, I think we see better food. I think we see better public health. I think we see, uh, you know, fitness at a wide, uh, more wide ranging scale. I think other things that don't necessarily seem directly related to Bitcoin will completely take over if, if the money simply allows you to even have low time preference thinking to begin with. Because as of right now, I think that it's safe to say that society isn't allotted the choice to have low time preference thinking. Oh, uh, certainly, I think our financial situation that we're in right now makes it quite literally impossible um, unless you have vast amounts of money saved and you're quite literally making the decision to lose that money by not doing anything with it uh, or lose the value of that money, then there's no chance that we can really lower our time preferences. And it wasn't until you know Bitcoin came along that really we had this digital solution for that. Before that, um, you know, you describe like the, the quality of the food, our healthcare, et cetera. We have regressed in all of those aspects, I believe, from the last hundred years because we've slowly shifted and eroded from a sound money system into this fiat system that we're now in, which, as you say, has a sort of feedback loop with the, with the incentives that just continually lead to uh, more devaluing of goods, services, food, et cetera. Pivoting here, though, you've written some really excellent you know, pieces for us, Sean, hoping to you know, continue that. And I think looking forward, we have some really cool ideas about what we can do. I'm curious, you know, in your view, what's the importance of, of writing in the Bitcoin community and, and what's the role that it plays? Because you and I are both heavily in the writing scene here, but also I think of all online communities, of all like subjects that I've uh, you know, found, Bitcoiners really appreciate good writing, they appreciate research, and uh, I've just seen it play such an interesting role in this community. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so on, a, on an individual level, and, and, then I, and then we can talk about the community level. For me, it's always been about my own personal education. I just, every, every article I write, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's, just, it's, it's a question that I have that I, want, that I want answered. And even if I have been able to find those answers, They've been difficult to find. So for me, Bitcoin Magazine as an outlet is one of the clearest places that people go to looking for Bitcoin education. So for me, writing on there and then being able to take these very difficult subjects and being able to break them down into digestible content for already existing users or new users, whatever, being able to discuss it in a way that's easily understood by everyone is absolutely necessary to to adoption to me. So for me, it's a way for me to learn, but it's also a way for me to know that one skill that I have is the ability to digest content in a way that makes it easier for other people to get. And I've actually had, <laughs> I, I, I work in retail um, and I've had three, yeah, three customers that I can think of off the top of my head that were over the age of 70 that, uh, they came in, they saw that I was reading a specific book and they asked about Bitcoin, found out that I was writing. Um, and 
all of them have come back and, and talked to me and been like, well, you made that really easy to understand. Like, thank, thank you very much, blah, 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 blah. But it was, you know, people just outside of the expected generation of Bitcoiners, right? Happy that there was digestible content for them to understand. That way they could read it, that we, they could try to figure out what it was, how it was different than all these other things that they were hearing about. You know, because they, they're a generation that has money. They, just, they don't know how to, how to jump into, you know, crypto, Bitcoin, whatever you, want to, uh, whatever you want to call it. So for me, that's been the most important thing is furthering my own personal education by making sure that I'm doing the research and I'm doing right by the community and making sure that what I put out there is accurate information. And I've been lucky enough to be able to work with other contributors um, who are willing to, you know, check my work and, and make sure everything's sound, you know, before it goes out. Because that's really important to this community. And that's stepping outside of the individual and over to the community. I think that that's something that's rarely experienced elsewhere. Like the collaboration that you get, not just in writing, but in, in Bitcoin as a generality. People want to help. Because people want the information that touches the hands of new users to be correct. They don't want misrepresentation. They don't want false information going out there. They want to make sure that everybody understands it at the level that they do. But the biggest problem is most people that understand Bitcoin at a high level are too well articulated to be able to actually articulate the thoughts in a digestible way. <laughs> so to me, that's the importance of, of writing on the individual and community level because it helps bring in people that might not otherwise be able to figure this out on their own. It's a way to teach. It's a way to provide, uh, provide access. Certainly. I always heard when I was in school growing up that you don't truly know a subject until you can teach someone else that subject. And uh, as you said, especially in a simple way, Bitcoin is not something that's easily understood unless you, you know, explain it easily or, or figure out a way to describe it to that audience in a, in a easily understood way. But, um, you know, education, I think we're, like you said, we're also impassioned about it because we care about the information that people first encounter on Bitcoin. It really sets the tone for how they're going to approach the subject. And I think, as you said, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners understand that the first impact or the first encounter that someone has with Bitcoin education is really going to impact how they uh, go about obtaining Bitcoin, how they store it, and uh, whether or not they go into other coins, et cetera. So, Certainly, it's, it's appreciated how the community really strives and does its best to educate those coming into the space. We are, uh, we're, we're running low on time, so I wanted to make sure I got in some, some excellent final questions here, both what you were looking forward to in the Bitcoin community, and I'm curious if you have a price prediction for 10 years from now, because Lord knows we need a, we need a little bit of a bull run. Right, so... What am I most excited for? I'm, I don't know if excited is the right word, possibly anxious. <laughs> I am most concerned with the continued nation state response. So the political stage internationally is the thing that currently controls a large portion of my interests. You know, seeing things like Vladimir Putin kind of coming out and saying that they have an advantage in, in Bitcoin mining. And okay, what's that mean? Now, what are you, now what, what are we about to see out of Russia? You know, what are, what are we going to see out of Argentina? What are we going to see out of these other, you know, Latin, Latin American countries as 
adoption continues? What are we going to see out of Nigeria? <clears throat> you know, these these sorts of things are things that I'm most excited slash anxious about. I just I'm very, very curious to see what how the world stage continues to respond to Bitcoin. I think that, you know, we'll probably get at least one to two, if not more than that, uh, more nation states throughout 2022 as this, uh, you know, this IMF versus El Salvador thing with the, you know, volcano bonds and just taking a spit in the IMF space. And, you know, the IMF coming out saying that they want to reverse the legal tender definition like this. This is all very interesting to me. To me, it's a, I'm, I'm a person that's obsessed with stories before I write fiction. And, you know, I couldn't write a, I couldn't write a movie better than what I'm watching right now. And I, I'm most excited to see how the world stage story plays out through the remainder of 2022. As far as a price prediction, <laughs> oh, you, you, asked, you asked me this before and I, and I said I couldn't care less. <laughs> um, and I, I'll continue to hold to that. Uh, the price means nothing to me aside from it's a signal to buy uh, whenever it goes down. I'm, I'm happier whenever it's crashing than I am when it's ripping because uh, it's just harder for me to buy. <laughs> uh, if, I, if I'm, you know, gun to my head, what do I think it's going to be? I have no idea. If we, uh, if there's a resolution to this back and forth between IMF and the, and El Salvador, and if people accept that, you know, this is real, this isn't going anywhere, the IMF can't step in and suddenly make you accept tender that you don't want, that you don't want to use and get to determine the money that you're allowed to use. And other countries see that and they see, no, we can stand against the current monetary regime that's been in place for a while then I think we're going to start seeing a, a much larger ramp up. And I would say that we'd probably see that return to trying to reclaim, not reclaim, but trying to get that original price target of 100K uh, once there's a closure to this IMF nonsense. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. I believe we'll be flipping over here. Everyone, if you want to see what happens on the world stage, you better be at Bitcoin 2022 because that's where it's going to change. So uh, thank you all for joining me for uh, Meet the Plebs and uh, see you next episode.